0: in the Bible? You live in a world where everyone has an opinion about the Bible. Of what values are your beliefs if they are not clearly found in the pages of your Bible? The question we must ask is, are your opinions and beliefs really found in the Bible?
1: Well, hello, I'm David Freeman-Wiff. Is that really in the Bible? What is the formula? Here's the question. What is the formula for receiving the Spirit of God? Did you know that most churches don't teach the formula for receiving the Spirit? Most churches don't even know. The formula. I mean, think about it. When was the last time you heard a sermon on the formula for receiving the Spirit of God? I'm not talking about uh, how to be saved, uh, how to be a good Christian. I mean, as far as how to be saved, you've heard that a million times. You know, all heads bowed. Now, if you accept Christ into your heart, now raise your hand. Oh, bless your brother. Thank you, brother. You know, we got this one saved. And from that point, you never think about it. You never give it another thought. You never give it a second thought from that day forward. Okay. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about how to receive the spirit, the formula for receiving the spirit of God. Now, how important is this information to know the formula? It's life or death. That's how important it is. Romans 8 and verse 9 says this. Now, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. You know, that's, that's, that's what separates. I mean, that's, what, that's the, where the rubber meets the road, whether or not you have the, holy, the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit of God. This is not an issue of, well, I think I have the Spirit of God. Uh, uh, I, I, I go to church. Uh, I claim to be a Christian. Uh, I invited Jesus into my heart. I've been saved. Uh, I feel like I have the Spirit of God. You must know. You have the Spirit of God, and the way that you know is by following the laid-out formula in the Bible. That's how you know. Now, before we get started, let me give you some background information. Genesis 1 and verse 22, And God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Now, obviously, we're created in the in the, in the image of God, but we are not like God. Meaning in character, that process has to be developed, and the only way that process can be developed to develop the characteristics of God, to think like God would think, to behave, to act like God, and it's a lifelong process. I mean, you don't just because you're baptized, you don't you don't get there immediately, but. But here's what we've got to understand. Yeah, we're created in the image of God, but we are to be created in the likeness of God also. Mankind, here, listen closely, mankind was created incomplete. You were created incomplete. There's something missing. That missing spiritual element is the Spirit of God or God's DNA that you can receive. Now, once you receive the Spirit of God, God's DNA, over the process of time, you will develop the likeness and the character of God. But you have to know the formula for receiving the Spirit of God. There is an absolute, laid out, direct formula for receiving the Spirit of God. So the first part of this formula is found in Acts 2 and verse 38. Let's take a look at that. Then Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So the first thing we are to do is to repent of sin. Now question, do you know what sin is? Do you know how many so-called Christians that have gone down to the altar, they've given their heart to the Lord, they, they, they've raised their hand and invited Jesus into their heart. Maybe they, they've gone to a Billy Graham campaign, and, and of course the, 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 a lot of campaigns, you know, they have their shields that, go down, that work for the campaign, that, that when the invitation goes out and the music, you know, you've heard this touching sermon, And then they start playing the invitation music, just as you are, just as I am. And uh, the shields get up first to get everybody moving because nobody wants to be the first person to stand up. And the shields actually work for the campaign. They are counselors who go down there and talk to you once. Okay, do you know how many people have done this, have gone through the motion of... and, And were they sincere? Yes, they were sincere. I believe they were sincere as... They could possibly be at that time. But who have done this, gone to the motion, given their hand to the preacher, have raised their hand, and who do not know the definition of sin. Now, here's my point. If you don't know what sent your Savior to the cross to die for you, in other words, what was I doing that was so bad that Christ had to die for? You know, what is this thing called sin? If you don't know the definition of sin, you're not saved. You just think you are because you're going to church. That's my point, okay? So I want to ask you right now, what is, what in the scripture, what scripture in the Bible tells us the definition of sin? All right, do you know it? If you don't know it, you have not begun the process of real repentance. All right, we're going to look at what scripture defines for us the definition of sin. It's 1 John 3 and verse 4. Whosoever commits sin transgresses also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. So sin is the breaking of the Ten Commandments. Sin is not Stuff you just make up on your own. You know, it used to be that people said uh, dancing was sin. Yeah, uh, drinking, you know, sin. Card playing. I've heard that one a long time ago. You know, card playing, sin. No, you don't just make up stuff. As, sin is what God says it is. It's the breaking of the Ten Commandments. Now you got to get that in your head to even uh, to understand what repentance is, to know what you got to repent of. You gotta know what Christ died for. What, what were you doing that was so wrong in the area of sin that Christ died for your went to the cross to die for your sin? Now, I wanna digress a little bit because if you've been in church five minutes, you've heard this concept that, well, you know, the law, the law has been abolished, has been nailed to the cross, has been fulfilled, has been done away with. In, in Jesus, we don't really have to, He fulfilled the law, and so we don't really have to keep the law. You've heard this if you've been in church for 10 minutes. You've heard this concept that the law has been abolished. Now, now let, let, me, let me just explain something. <clears throat> if there is no law that defines what sin is, there is no sin. You can't get a ticket for running a stop sign if there is no stop sign. Where there is no law, there is no transgression. So if there is no sin, there's nothing you can do that is wrong. All right. If there's nothing you can do that's wrong... You don't need a Savior. Are are you following me with this? Okay. You don't really need religion. You don't need a church. You don't need anything, anything if there is no law. If there is no law that defines what is sin, then we don't need a Savior. Our religion is vain if there is no law. The law actually drives us to our need for a Savior. I realize I am a sinner. I am a dirty, rotten sinner. I've broken not just one, but many of the Ten Commandments. Okay. No, I haven't killed anybody. Okay, but I've been angry at people. I've hated people in my heart, so I broke that commandment also. So you know, uh, this is what drives us for our need for a savior. It's what the law drives us for our need for grace. Without the law, you can't have grace. Grace is not needed without the law. Okay? The law defines what sin is. All right. Repent of breaking the Ten Commandments. Why? Because it's the moral code of what makes life work. Do you want your life to work? It's the simple question we're talking about. When we're talking about law keeping, we're just asking the question do you want your life to work? All right? If everyone kept the Ten Commandments, there would be no need for prisons. Divorce courts, lawyers, you know, a lot of a lot of them be out of business, I guess. Uh, 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 door locks, no crime, no missing children. H- how do we get that kind of society? By keeping the Ten Commandments. That's how we would get that kind of society. Okay, so the first four tell us how to love God. So we're going to go through these quickly. Number one, thou shalt not have strange gods before me. This commandment tells us to believe that God... God that that believers that God should be the most important thing that they believe in and okay that's what the first command okay God this being father God is the most important thing that you should believe in I believe in God first I believe in God's authority that he has the final say the final authority alright second you shall not make unto you any graven image Basically, no idol worship. Uh, other people, people can be idols. Vehicles, cars can be idols. If you entertain yourself a lot, you're probably gu- guilty of idol worship. Uh, here's how you know uh, if you're guilty of idol worship. If your idol can do no wrong. okay. Whatever your idol, whatever your rock star, your Hollywood actor, your friend, your, whoever, your business partner, whatever, if they can do no wrong, if you'll defend them at all costs, you're guilty of idol worship. All right. Number three, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Okay? You don't drop into conversation, God, where it the name of God, God, where it doesn't belong. And, you know, taking taking God's name in vain is not just adding a curse word behind God. That's one version of it, but I see this happen all the time. People will just throw in the name God where it doesn't belong in their vain conversation. That's what it means to use the word God vainly. You know, they'll say, well, good, and using the God's name. Or my, you know, they'll hit their thumb with a hammer. Oh, my. And then they'll say God's name. Okay, that's what it means to take God's name vainly in your everyday vain conversation where it doesn't belong. Okay, a lot of people, a lot of children. I, I, you know, I hear you know, ignorant parents teach their ignorant children to take God's name in vain. And you'll see children, teenagers, taking God's name, using that name where it does not. Be- it belongs in reverence, worship. Okay, that's where God's name belongs. You don't just use it flippantly throughout your day, the name of God. Okay, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Okay, the Sabbath is not Sunday. Sunday is the first work day of the week. What people do on Sunday is not Sabbath keeping. Okay, a 45-minute worship service is not even the definition of what Sabbath keeping is all about. So whatever you're doing on Sunday, I can guarantee you it's not. Don't, don't, don't kid yourself in thinking you're keeping a Sabbath on Sunday because you're not. Okay, now if you keep God's Sabbath, you will be labeled the fourth commandment as a cult yeah i'm kid- i'm not i'm not kidding you that guy keeps the fourth commandment he's a cult they're a cult the seven day adventists are labeled as cults know, they're some of the nicest people you ever want to meet you know been been to their church before and and they're very extremely professional and nice and uh put a little bit too much emphasis on ellen g white but other than that but uh I mean, anyway, uh, uh, but you, the, the, you, if you keep the fourth commandment, obey God, you will be labeled as a cult. Genesis 2 and verse 3, And God blessed the Sabbath day and sanctified it, because in that he rested from all his work which God created and made. You know, the Sabbath day identifies the God that you serve. It identifies that you serve the creator God of the universe don't forget that one. The Sabbath identifies the God that you serve. Now, the last six commandments tell us how to love our fellow man. Now, a lot of people will say, well, uh, Jesus only gave two commandments, love God and love your neighbor as yourself. That's all I got to do, and it's up to me to decide how to do that. No, 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 no. Jesus was summarizing the ten commandments. The first four tell you how to love God. The last six tells you how to love your fellow man. In fact, all 613 laws in the Bible tell us how to do just that. They are explanations of how to love God, love your fellow man. Any law you want to look at tells us how to do that. Okay. All right. Honor your father and mother. <clears throat> Exodus 20 and verse 12 says, Honor your father and mother that the, that your days may be long upon the land. Which the Lord God gives you. This is referred to as the commandment of promise. The promise is if you honor your father and mother, you're, you will live long on the land. Yeah. Thou shalt not kill. I don't think that needs much explaining. Thou shalt not, seventh commandment, thou shalt not commit adultery. Now, adultery is the hallmark sin of America. It really is. It's just fornication, adultery. Recreational sex. And you know, the more people you enter into recreational sex with, the least likely you will ever find real love. And the reason that is, is because with each sexual encounter, you give a piece of yourself away, a piece of your heart away to that person, that person, that person, that person. So, so if you've been 15 years shacking up with different people and, and that, you know, you just need to realize th- the person you are harming is yourself if you're interested in ever finding real love, because you keep giving bits and pieces of yourself away To every relationship you come into okay so you need to repent of that sin the first step is to repent of that of recreational sex repent of that sin and turn over a new leaf on life and start over again okay Eight, you shall not steal. Don't really need to explain that. Number nine, thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. It means that we cannot tell lies about other people because they can be very hurtful to other people. And often we tell, the way we tell lies is it's it's lack of communication. We just don't have all the facts, you know, And, and we don't communicate like we should. And we end up bearing false witness. Okay. Number 10, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's goods. This means that people should not want things that belong to other people. Uh, you know, uh, that, that could lead to temptation and doing something wrong, like stealing it or taking it. Okay, all right. So now that we know what sin is, we're ready for the next step. We've discovered that sin is, 1 John 3, 4, sin is the breaking of the Ten Commandments. And that's what we're, gonna, that's what we're going to repent of of then we have acts 2 and verse 38 then peter said to them repent okay we covered covered that and be baptized every one of you in the name of jesus christ for the remission of sins so what is baptism well baptism is immersion under water it represents the burial of the old man in other words you're laid back in that body of water and just for a few seconds you are completely covered in that watery grave. Now, if you're bad, we hold you under. Now just kidding. We'd have to hold everybody under. Okay. But you know, immersion is not sprinkling, you know. Uh, sprinkling is a tradition that is not biblical. Uh, a dead corpse, you don't stand him up against a tree, take a shovel of dirt, and shoom, sprinkle some dirt on him. That's not burial. Okay? What baptism represents is the burial of the old man. Now, Jesus was baptized at age 30. Now, consider this. Did Jesus have to be baptized? He was sinless. No. So why was Christ baptized? Only answer, to set us an example to follow. Now, do I think you have to be 30 years of age before you can be baptized? No. No, I don't. But I do believe there is an age of accountability that you must reach before baptism. Before puberty... Is not wise because you, you gotta know, it's like putting a cart in front of the horse. We, we, we think, well, if I can do all this and, and I'll cover all the bases, for the bases to even exist, you know. And, and so you, you've gotta have a mature level that you just can't reach before puberty, okay? Uh, repentance involves remorse for the things you have done. I think children can feel sorry for things they have done, especially if they get caught. You know, they get caught lying and they can, you know, I'm sorry and and crocodile tears and all that stuff. But I'm talking about repentance from a knowledge-based conviction of what God says is sin. The big big difference, you can't do this before puberty, okay? Next step is in the name of Jesus Christ. I don't think that needs a lot of explaining. Uh, It says what it says. It means what it says. Not in the name of Allah, Muhammad, Buddha, or anything like that. But in the name of Jesus Christ. Okay, Acts 3 and verse 19. Repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. Now, why are we why are we told to be converted? Well, we're told to be converted that your sins may be blotted out when the time of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. Conversion means to make a U-turn. Now, often what you find in church is conversion without repentance without conversion. In other words, you know, okay, I just raise my hand, invite Jesus into my heart, and that's it. But and and there there really is very little repentance, and there's even less conversion. Conversion is making a U-turn. Now, let's understand this. Let's say you got a 30-year addiction, all right? That U-turn does not occur overnight. Uh, It's a process of turning your life around from the direction that you were going, you know. There's a reason we have a high priest, Christ Jesus, who sits at the right hand of God, ready to make intercession for us because we mess up. And so conversion is a process that takes time. Chances are you're not just going to break that 30-year addiction overnight just because you've been baptized. We all wish that were so. I know when I was baptized, I thought I would never sin again. And I found out, no, I did sin. And that, that the thing that I struggled with still had power. And God did not just miraculously take this away like a magic wand. He waves over you, and then you have no more, you know, addiction. You have no. That's not often. That's not the way that God worked. Now, can He do that? Sure, He can. But it's not the way God. Because you see, God wants us to learn things by overcoming sin with the Spirit of God, with forgiveness, with grace. He wants us to learn lessons about being an overcomer. Okay, Acts eight and verse fourteen. Let's take a look at this. Next step that I think is important. Now, when the apostles were at Jerusalem, heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John. And when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet he was fallen upon none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then laid thee their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't want this to be a great uh, oversight for you. If you study the laying on of hands, it is actually a doctrine that you find in the Bible. That when kings came to power, they would anoint them, they would lay their hands on them. Uh, Healing of the sick, anointing with oil, laying your hands on the sick. Ordination, the gifts of the, the Spirit. Different gifts of the Spirit, ordinating, ordination of, of, of a preacher or whatever, laying on of hands, receiving the Spirit of God. The laying on of hands was a part of this. You know, churches used to do this more than they do it now. But you don't want to look, overlook this, Acts 8 and verse 16, "...for as yet he was, the Spirit was not uh, fallen upon none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus." then laid their hands on them and they received the holy spirit so you know they had gone through the motion they'd gone through the motion but had not yet received the spirit of god so this you know find you a church that believes on in the laying on of hands and it might you know go something like this you know i lay my hands on their head after they've been baptized they come up out of the water i lay my hands on their head and say father this person stands before you clean Forgiven of all their sins, I ask now that you give this person a part of your spirit to guide and direct their lives. Okay, very critical, and you don't need to overlook that. So now you have the formula, and to really study the formula, I want to offer you two things, how to receive the Spirit of God and uh, should you be baptized. Two books I can send you free of charge. Acts 5 and verse 32, And we are his witnesses of these things, and so also is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to them that obey him. It is a work of obedience in your life that God is working on. I mean, what else, tell me, what else would it be? It's not a work of disobedience. You know how will I ever overcome this thing that is destroying my life? How will I ever stop this addiction? How will I ever get my life together? And the answer is to realize that you were created incomplete, and a part of you that's missing is to receive the part of, to receive a part of God's DNA to receive the spirit of God. Hebrews five and verse 9 says, "And being made perfect, talking about Christ, he became the author, of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. You know the the work of the Holy Spirit is to create in you an obedient heart. The work of the Holy Spirit is not for you to justify why you don't obey him. The Spirit of God does not create in you a no law theology, and I'm just saying. That, that no, no law theology does exist in our society, and it exists in a lot of churches. That no law, well, I, the law's been, you know, I don't have to worry about the law. It's been fulfilled. It's been done away with. I don't have to think about that. So, and they never, and people that believe that will never be able to receive the Holy Spirit of God. Because God says, look, I'm going to write my laws into their hearts. And into their minds. So, get with the plan. Receive God's Spirit. Find a church that believes and knows the formula. You may have to do some searching. It may be difficult. But if you order these two pieces of literature, I'll offer you, uh, should you be baptized, and how to receive the Spirit of God, you will know the formula. And the formula is critical. Because if any man have not, The spirit of god he is none of his i'm david freeman with is that really in the bible
0: is it possible to change the man or the woman in the mirror and if so how are we simply victims of our past behaviors with no way out of our sins and addictions jesus told a woman to go and sin no more this is real change no longer a slave to sin But how is this possible? You were created incomplete, lacking the necessary drive and desire that would cause you to do the right thing. The bottom line is this. You need a second spirit. Man's real problems are spiritual in nature, and the natural man simply cannot solve spiritual problems. How can we know what is right? And how can we have the desire and power to choose what is right? Real change is possible, and the ability to please God is possible. But it is only possible by receiving God's spiritual DNA. Order your free booklet entitled, How You Can Change and Please God. Order by writing to Church of God, Rocky Mount, 27 Brookledge Lane, Rocky Mount, Virginia, 24151. That's Church of God, Rocky Mount. 27 Brookledge Lane, Rocky Mount, Virginia, 24151. Also, check us out on the web at IsThatReallyInTheBible.net.